Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Praise God in the sanctuary they sing, and we are going to do that soon. It's on track, it's on schedule, the work is getting done upstairs, and it's beautiful. So if you haven't gone up to see it yet, even if you saw it last week, it's better even this week. Starting tomorrow, the pews are going to get moved back into the sanctuary. They refinished them there in place. It's happening, it's real, it's so cool, so we cannot Wait, keep praying, keep getting excited, and we'll keep you updated for when it is we get to be back in our sanctuary again. For today, we're jumping back into this series on the book of Mark that we began last week. It's going to carry us all the way to Easter. And as we emphasized last week, as we began, Mark wants to make very, very clear in his telling of this Jesus story that this is a good news story. It's good news that Mark has to tell us. We started out last week, just as a reminder, just a little background, Mark is thought to be the very first written down gospel account of Jesus' life. It was likely written by a guy named John Mark, who himself was a disciple of, a friend of, a student of the disciple Peter. Peter, who we're actually going to meet for the first time in uh, the passage that we're going to read today from Mark, Peter spent three years with Jesus, learning from him, watching him, experiencing Jesus' last three years here on earth, and Peter told his story to John Mark, and John Mark wrote it down so that we could know, and again, he wants us to know this isn't just any story, this is a good news story, and that's how he starts it all out. Mark 1.1, his very first sentence the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if we're unclear on anything else, let us be clear on this. The story of Jesus is a good news story. Not everybody thinks of it that way, right? If you ask anybody, you know, friends, neighbors, coworkers, you know, what they would have to say about Jesus, what they would have to say about the story of Christianity, not everybody would say, you know, I think that's, that's good news, would they? You know, I think a lot of people out there, they think of Christianity, they think of it, it's, it's not very good news. In fact, it's bad news. It's not a story they, they want to hear. It's not a story they want to be a part of. And there's some reasons for that. And one of which I think is for some people, when they think about Christianity, they think it's kind of, you know, if they had to sum it all up, they may not say it this way, but it would boil down to the kind of thought that, that it's kind of, to be a Christian, to be a part of the church, it's kind of like playing a big old game of Jesus says, right? It's like Jesus says, it, like the game, the kid's game, Simon says, we know the story, right? Or this, the game, right? How many know the game Simon says, how it works, right? If Simon says, you do it. If Simon doesn't say, you don't do it. So just to make sure we're paying attention, we're awake, it's a little warm in here today, we're going to play a little game of Simon says to get started together. So, so I want to see, see, we're going to be ready to move your bodies a little bit. Uh, so Simon says, put your hands in the air. Simon says, put your hands down. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ear. Simon says, touch your other ear. Simon says, put your hands in the air again. Put your hands down. Oh, we got a few of you. A few of you went out. So if we were really playing cutthroat, okay, Simon says, put your hands down. If we were really playing cutthroat, Simon says, those are the few of you I won't call you out, but the few of you who put your hands down before Simon says, you're out. 
right? That's how it works. There is no grace in Simon Says. That's how kind of some people think, like, Christianity is. It's like, except for Simon, it's Jesus Says. Like, Jesus says, do this. Jesus says, do that. Jesus says, believe this. Jesus says, don't look at that. Jesus says, don't say that word. Oh, I said that word. I'm out, right? Like that. Simon says might be fun, but Jesus says does not sound like that much fun. It doesn't sound like that much fun because, frankly, to me, the game of Jesus says just feels like a game I can't win, and I don't like games I can't win. Truly, like this is something about me you need to know. I do not like games I cannot win. I do not play games I cannot win, which is not to say I don't I have to win every game all the time. That's not it. It's just that if I never win, I don't like it. I don't want to play it. So like poker, I can't win at poker. Therefore, I don't like poker. Therefore, I don't play poker. That's how it goes. Chess, same thing. I can't win it. I don't like it. I don't want to play it. Angry Birds is a little bit that way for me. Some days, Wordle. We got some Wordle players out here. Like, some days I like it, some days it's great, and I'm, some days I'm like throwing my phone across the room. Like, so, point being, I don't like games I can't win. And so I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to play them. I think there's some people out there that kind of feel that way about Christianity. It's like, if it's a big old game of like, Jesus says, I can't win it, so I don't want to play it. And so there are some people who say no to Christianity, say no to church, they say no to Jesus because it just feels like a big old game of Jesus says, and they don't want to play. So if that's at all, if that is you, if that has ever been you, I want you to know that Jesus has good news for you today. Because if you don't like the game of Jesus says, truth is, Jesus doesn't like it either. Jesus did not come to this earth with a big old list of Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says. Jesus didn't come to be Jesus says, Jesus came to be Savior. Jesus came to save this world. Jesus came to show us what this world needs, to show us what God is like and invite us into a relationship with him. Jesus came not with a list, but with an invitation. And we get to hear that invitation. We get to receive that invitation as we look at this story that Mark has for us today. So as I said last week, if you brought your Bible, awesome. I want you to open it. If you got a Bible app and you're looking at your phone through the sermon, I'm going to trust that you're reading the Bible. So you can get that phone out even. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16. And then we're going to jump over to Mark chapter 2 for a story there as well. Let's read this good news that Mark has for us today. Mark says, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. We're going to skip over to chapter 2, starting at verse 13 now. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house with many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So here we're in the very, very earliest days of Jesus' ministry. He is just getting started. And and the very first thing he does is he calls these guys to follow him. And we're going to look at, at what he does as he does that. But the first thing I want us to pay attention to is what he doesn't do, how he doesn't call out to these guys. He, he approaches uh, Simon, who later, this is the one who Jesus will rename Peter. We're meeting Peter from the outset here. And when he approaches him, he, he doesn't go up to him kind of, you know, smugly with a sales pitch. You know, he's like, do you know the four spiritual laws? If you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? Like, n- none of that kind of, like, salesmanship that sometimes can come with Jesus, right? When he goes up to, to Levi, this tax collector, he doesn't, you know, quiz him on, you know, do you know all the, all the books of the Bible and do you know, you know, all the lines of the Apostles' Creed? When he goes to James and John, he doesn't look down his nose at him and say, you know, son of God, I, I know what you were doing last night. Like, none of that. Like, no, no salesmanship, no looking down, no quizzing, none of that. The first thing Jesus does, he doesn't go up and say, do you believe all the right things? Do you, do you behave in all the right ways? None of that only thing Jesus does when he approaches these guys is he just makes an invitation, a very, very simple invitation. All Jesus says is, follow me. Follow me. So thinking about that, hearing that very, very simple invitation, I want us to, to think about three things, three, three takeaways from this. I want us to look at who it is that Jesus invites to follow him. I want us to, to notice then what that following of Jesus entails, what that looks like, and what happens as a result of following Jesus. Another way to put that, if you, you like alliteration, I sometimes do, you could put that in, in terms of the prerequisite for following Jesus, the practice of following Jesus, and the power of following Jesus. So we're going to break those three things down together. First, we need to look at who is it that Jesus actually invites to follow him. Because when we notice who he invites, it actually tells us a lot about Jesus, about his standards. Jesus does have some prerequisites for what it means, for who he allows to follow him. And, and, and so when it came to choosing his people, his disciples, who he invited, Jesus actually does have a very, very important checklist. And on that checklist, there is one thing, one prerequisite to following Jesus. So if you wanted to follow Jesus, you had to be a sinner. That's it. You want to follow Jesus? Be a sinner. Now, in church, and those of us who have come out on this snowy day or have tuned in online, that feels a little confusing sometimes, right? Like, that, it's not how we, we think of ourselves. If it, and it was true in Jesus' day, too. This was a little confusing who he chose to follow him. You know, Simon and James and John, Andrew, they were fishermen, so that was a little bit like, oh, all right. I mean, they're just normal kind of average guys, sure, that, but a little confusing. His calling out to Levi to follow him? 
shocking, like incomprehensible. See, see, calling these fishermen, that's one thing, but calling this tax collector to follow him. In Jesus' day, you need to understand that there were sinners, sinners, and there were sinners. Do you understand the difference between sinners and sinners? Like there, sinners are just normal. We get, you know, things wrong here and there. Sinners, that's tax collectors. Like they are as bad as you can get. Tax collectors were sinners. They were bad. They were so bad. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this in Mark's telling of the story. It's interesting. He always lists sinners and tax collectors. Never the same. He doesn't just say, oh, all these sinners were following Jesus. He says, sinners and tax collectors were all following Jesus. He does this on purpose because, you know, regular average run-of-the-mill sinners, they didn't want to be lumped in with tax collectors. They're like, you know, I'm bad. I know, whatever. I've done some things wrong in my life, but I'm not a tax collector. Jeez, right? Tax collectors were bad people. They, they, were, they were Jews who betrayed their own people. See, Rome had come in to Israel at this time. It was an occupying force in that time, and nobody wanted Rome there. Nobody wanted anything to do with Rome being there, but Rome had all the power. And so they taxed the people. And in order to collect those taxes, fellow Jews would defect, would go over to kind of the Roman side to say, okay, we'll collect their taxes from our own people. And not only collect the taxes for Rome, but most of them, you know, got a little extra in their pocket on the side. So as far as most Israelites were concerned at that time, as far as they were concerned, tax collectors were greedy, dishonest, low-down, scum-of-the-earth traders who could only hang out with other tax collectors because, you know, self-respecting sinners didn't want anything to do with them. Tax collectors were bad people, but Jesus has good news for bad people. Jesus walked right up to Levi, and again, you know, he could have, he could have said so many things to him. He could have said, oh, how could you? Why would you? Your, your mother would be so ashamed. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus looked at him and he just said, follow me. Jesus has good news for bad people. Good news that religious people, we don't really fully understand. The religious people of Jesus' day, those Pharisees, the scribes, they kind of looked and said, I, I don't understand this. And if we're honest, we don't really get it either. You know, we, the church, Christians, we don't, we don't have a great track record with quote-unquote sinners. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells a story about one day meeting a, a prostitute, a woman who who desperately wanted to get out of this life that she'd been living, wanted to change her ways, change her course of life, her path. Maybe one of these women that are housed by city team, you know, that kind of woman who wants to change her life. And, 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 and Yancey met her and was talking with her about this desire. And he suggested in the course of their conversation, he said, you know, have, have you ever considered going to church? And her response to him was so telling. He said, well, maybe you want to change your life, go to church. She goes, why? Church, why in the world would I go to church? I already feel bad enough about myself. They'd only make me feel worse. Friends, this, this should not be, this cannot be. The church, the community of Christ, this place, this community, we are meant to be a hospital for sinners. We are not a museum for saints. 
And Jesus came to bring good news to bad people. Bad people like Levi, bad people like that prostitute, bad people like you and like me. So the good news today, friends, according to Jesus, being a sinner, being a bad person, that does not disqualify you from following Jesus. Far from it, opposite. Being a bad person, being a sinner, that's what qualifies you. That is the prerequisite for following Jesus. It is a requirement. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. It's those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The truth is, we are all sick. We are all in need of a physician, of healing. Every single one of us, we have all, every day, done things, said things that we know we shouldn't. All of us have not said, have not done things that we know we should have. All of us miss the mark of living up to God's holiness. We're all bad people. And praise God, Jesus didn't just come to bring good news to bad people. Jesus came to be good news to bad people. Because if we weren't bad, if we were good, if we were perfect, we wouldn't have any need of Jesus. But we're not. We're sick. We're sinful. And Jesus came to be our Savior. Jesus said, follow me. Only requirement is be a sinner. Prerequisite for following Jesus, admit that you're sick and you need him to heal. That's the first step. Second, then comes the practice. What happens when you start following Jesus? What, is, what does that look like? And looking at our story, looking how, how, how that worked in, in their lives, it, it's kind of helpful to remember a little cultural context. It's helpful to know that Jesus wasn't just some guy. Jesus was actually a Jewish rabbi. And it was common practice in Jesus' day for rabbis to have students. They had disciples Followers, people who lived life with them, learned from them. Because the, 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 the goal of any student, of any rabbi, wasn't just to learn information. They weren't you know, reading a book, taking a test, moving on with their life. They weren't learning information. They were learning a life. And so any disciple of any rabbi, they, they would have committed their lives to following him. That's why Andrew and James got up from the boat to follow Jesus, why, why Levi left his tax booth. They went, were going to be a disciple of this rabbi, Jesus. So to learn the life from their rabbi, that's what these students would do. They would spend every waking moment with their rabbi. When he slept, they were with him. When he woke, they were with him. When he ate, they watched how and, and what prayers he said before he ate and what practices he followed as he ate. When he traveled, they went with him. True story. I'm not making this up. There's actual historical documentation of the fact that, that there were some rabbi students who were so committed to learning the life of their rabbi, they followed him into the bathroom lest he utter a prayer while he was there. They wanted to get every piece of it. In every moment, a student wanted to be with their rabbi. They wanted to be with their rabbi so they could get to know their rabbi. They wanted to get to know their rabbi so that they could become like their rabbi. 
So when Jesus calls these guys to follow them, follow him, that's what he's inviting them into. He's inviting them to learn from his life, to get to know him so that they could become like him. And the same is true for us. The practice of following Jesus isn't suddenly imposing on your life this kind of long list of to-dos and thou shalts and thou shalt nots and shoulds and, and shouldn'ts. You, here's the truth. You, you may not behave like a quote-unquote good Christian today. You may not believe like a quote-unquote good Christian today. You may not fall into any of those categories. You can still follow Jesus. Did you know that? No matter who you are, no matter what you have done or what you believe, you can start following Jesus today because the practice of following Jesus isn't simply doing all the right things, believing all the right things. It's just doing what those rabbi students did. It's being with Jesus so that you can get to know Jesus, so that you can become like Jesus. Well, how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. You know, that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing in this Mark series, why we've, we're trying to make it just as easy as possible to be reading Scripture every day, to be in, in, in just immersing ourselves in the story of Jesus through uh, reading through the book of Mark. It's why these devotionals have been put together. We got them in paper form over on the stage. They're all online. They're being sent to you via email and text, all the things you could possibly need because we know we believe that as we read Scripture, as we reflect on it, its meaning for our lives, we're spending time with Jesus. And as we spend that time with Jesus in Scripture and in prayer, we get to know Jesus. We become like Jesus. We also know that a really powerful tool for getting to know Jesus, being with Jesus, is the context of community. That's why we, we talk so much about the power of small groups. When you get together with other believers and share life together, you, you see them live it out. You see them share their lives. You get to come alongside each other and see how Jesus looks on different people. And we become more like him. It's as simple as it sounds. The practice of following Jesus is simply being with Jesus. So you get to know Jesus. And ultimately, you become like Jesus, which is what leads to that kind of final point, the power of following Jesus. Looking back again to Simon and Andrew, James and Levi, they, they were sinners. They were bad people. They were tax collectors who started spending time with Jesus. And though it didn't happen overnight, as you read through the Gospels, and, and, and in particularly as you get past the Gospels, past the resurrection, into the book of Acts, you start to see this incredible thing. These guys who were all sinners, tax collectors, bad people, slowly but surely, over time, they start to change. They start to look a whole lot more like Jesus. And we do too. You know, friends, Jesus... It's very clear. He invites us to follow him just as we are. You don't have to change to follow Jesus. But as you follow Jesus, you will be changed. You don't have to change, but you will 
be changed. This is the power of following Jesus. And we see this, we know this is true, even from our own human lives. You don't have to change, but you will be changed because that's what love does. When you love somebody, you're changed. I can tell you this is true just from a silly, silly human example. We've all got stories like this. I can tell you how love changes a person. I can tell you because I love my husband. I love my husband, but I hate locking doors. I hate locking doors. So um, I realize this is being projected to, you know, the entire internet. So if you or anybody in this room or anybody watching online, you consider yourself a house robber, if you could just cover your ears for a minute, that would be helpful. I'll tell you when you can. I do. I just, I, I, I don't like locking doors. I never do it. The reality is I actually hate unlocking doors. Like, I'm one of those people, like, if I've got, gone to get groceries, I try to carry all of them in at once. Like, I think there's some prize for, like, making one trip from the car. No matter how much you have, if you can bring it all in in one trip, you've won. Um, I haven't gotten an actual prize for that yet. I'm still waiting. But I do that. I'm like, it's inevitable. If I'm coming into my house, my hands are full. So to like reach into my purse and grab keys and unlock a door, it's hard. Like my life's really hard. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to be inconvenienced by a lock. So I don't like to lock the doors. My husband, on the other hand, uh, is very concerned about the safety of our home and of our family, rightly so. So he would prefer that the doors be locked. I don't like locking them. He does but I love my husband. And so I have made it a practice, particularly at night when we're going around and going to bed to honor him, to love him by going around and locking all the doors. Just flip things a little bit, I will say, he will tell you about himself, Dave does not see clutter. He just doesn't see it, doesn't bother him all that much. It doesn't, you know, we can have socks, you know, on the kitchen counter and dishes piling up in the sink. He won't see it. It doesn't bother him. Drives me crazy. Earlier service, as I'm saying this, I see a husband just pat his wife's leg. <laughs> like, I know I'm not the only one here, right? I didn't call them out on that in that moment, but I was like, I see you. But my husband loves me. He doesn't see the clutter, but he loves me. And so he makes a practice most nights of going around and seeing it and picking it up, doing the dishes, clearing it out because he loves me. My point is this. When you love somebody, Things change. You change. You behave and you start to believe differently. That's why St. Augustine, just 1,700 years ago, this advice that he gave is so relevant today. He advised new believers in this very simple practice. He told them, love God and do as you will. Love God and do as you will. He, he advised them in this way because he knew the truth. He knew that, that if we fall in love with God, if we really love Jesus, we will actually do what God wills. When we love God, what we want starts to align with God wants. What, what, what we want and what God wants, they will be one in the same. That is the power of following Jesus. We will live differently because we're living like Jesus. We will love differently because we know that we are loved by Jesus. 
we will be less afraid because that we know the power of Jesus. We will be less selfish with our time and our money and our resources because we know that we have been richly blessed by Jesus. We will have hope in something greater than this life because Jesus said there's more. That there's an eternity that's better, that's more beautiful, that's more joyful, that's more everything good about this world and none of the bad. We will have hope because we know that it's available forever. So what does Jesus ask of us? Just simply follow me. And that invitation is for you, whether you have been in church for 45 years or 45 minutes. You can follow Jesus. So as we continue in this series together, that's, that's my encouragement for you. Just day by day, moment by moment, the question to ask yourself is, am I following. Not how much do I know or how often do I pray or am I really consistently reading my Bible enough or am I I believing all the right things or behaving all the right ways. Not even am I a Christian. Simply am I following. That's what Jesus asks of us. Follow me. You don't have to change, but you will be changed, and that is very, very good news.